We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, welcome to another Buzzbeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by co-host Brian today. And as always, the best way to support us is giving us a rating and review on your preferred podcasting app. Before getting to our guest, I'm going to read a review off of Apple Podcast. Uh, this person states, quote, big fan of the Hornets pod. Most others are built to be entirely doom and gloom or overly optimistic. This one makes you feel hopeful while still realizing that things can go horribly wrong. As a Hornets fan, that's pretty much all we can hope for. <laughs> so I think that definitely encapsulates our feelings towards the Hornets. Like we try to keep it realistic, but we do know that. It, it, we, yeah. We've gotten hundreds of, of reviews and I've enjoyed most of them. That is like one of my favorite of all time. Just the assuming misery is around any corner. I just, I love that. I love that. It encapsulates so much of the, like the, the Charlotte NBA experience. I yep. feel. Yep. So keep those coming. Um, we are at the all-star break and I think this is a good time to bring on a guest, kind of step back and review the season up to this point. So we're going to bring on Jackson Frank. Frank writes for Dime at Uprocks, basketballnews.com, among other sites as well. Jackson, thanks for joining us, and uh, how's it going? I'm doing well. I appreciate the two having me on. I'm excited to uh, talk about some uh, Hornets basketball here today. Hey, Brian and Jackson, just to let you guys know, I, I have not I have not seen a single thing from All-Star Weekend. Like, I, I, I've every year that goes by, like, I get less and less interested. I mean, I've seen highlights here and there, but... I just didn't tune in live this year. Like, did you guys watch any of the events, whether it was Friday night, Saturday night, or the actual event on Sunday? I I watched some of it, but it was it, none of it was really a priority. You know, I saw some stuff when I was having dinner on Friday. I got together with some friends to watch the stuff on Saturday, and then just with the fact that I cover the Sixers and that Joel, you know, Embiid was a prominent part, I had to do a little bit of a re- right. round up there, but. Um, none of it was a priority in my weekend by any means, and I, I don't think you missed much. I mean, <laughs> that was kind of fun. There was some fun stuff in the All-Star game with some dunks, and Steph was great. But, you yeah. know, you were really, you know, 
depriving yourself. Yeah, I went I went out. I covered the Duke FSU game Saturday and like met up with some friends out after that. And so I saw some of the three point contests on TVs uh, in the bar. And um, I, you know, I had like the all star game on a little bit last night, but it was mostly like how I would have like soccer on. I feel like where it's like it's kind of there. It's kind of in the background, but I'm like. Yeah, I'm like checking emails. I'm like, you know, messing around on my phone. I'm like texting friends or whatever. But I wanted to see Lamelo, and yeah. you know, it was pretty. It was pretty cool. Like, you know, at age 20, Lamelo out here in an All Star game with LeBron and Steph and Joel and Giannis. Um, it was. It was pretty. I know he was in there as an injury replacement, but that was pretty cool. And. Um, and like, yeah, as someone who's followed Lamelo for a couple of years now, is happy to get to see him have that opportunity. And he, and he closed, I think, if I recall. I, I know it doesn't mean anything for all, but like just the experience and dynamic is cool for sure. It doesn't mean anything about yeah, Danny, yeah. but it, it's, it's cool that he was he was out there and, and whatnot. But yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that it was a it was a background part of my weekend for sure. So yeah, there, Brian. All right, so the Hornets have played 60 games. They're 29 and 31 uh, after those games, sitting in ninth place in the East. At one point, they were six games over 500 at 26 and 20, uh, but we've seen some injuries pile up. We've seen some regression with their shooting over their most recent stretch. Having said all that, I know this is a very broad question for you, Jackson, but what's been your evaluation of this team, the good and the bad that's gotten them to this point in the season? Yeah. So coming, you know, coming into the year, I think I was, this is probably about what I expected. Um, they were, they were something that kind of surprised me, you know, when they're 26 and 20, um, definitely within earshot of beating me, just moving above the plane altogether. Um, but this is about where I expected. And yeah, you can point to the injuries and, and whatnot, but part of that for me was like, I knew, or I felt like Gordon Hayward was pretty important to this team. And the fact that he's missed, you know, what about, almost all of the last like 15 or so games. Um, and, and it has a history, unfortunately, of injuries kind of tied into it there for me. But, um, you know, obviously we mentioned LaMelo a little earlier, um, him going from, you know, kind of taking that mini leap from, you know, rising star to a guy who had a great case to make the All-Star game outright, obviously ended up making it, uh, you know, as an injury replacement. But, you know, if he would have made it on the team initially, I don't think anyone would have, would have scoffed at it. He's been that good. Um, you know, that's been kind of the biggest takeaway. I think Cody Martin's been awesome as well. Um, the jumper being so stable this year has been important. Obviously, we know what the T can do as an on-ball defender, when we can do attacking closeouts, making the passes on the move there. Um, but everything kind of comes together for him as a nice complimentary role player when the jumper's falling like it has this year. So I've liked that. You know, I think you have to mention Miles Bridges. Um, I've been encouraged with him there. Um, but again, like I said, this is a kind of about what I expected from this team. The offense was definitely performing above what I anticipated through the first 46 or so games you know, before this this lull started, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, and I think the defense, you know, the defense, they're just kind of a mess in every facet, really. Um, you know, I think a lot of bad defenses have maybe a certain one or two weak points that you can really exploit, but the Hornets don't really communicate well. They don't have a great interior anchor. They don't really have a great point of attack defender. Their help isn't very good, which ties in the communication there. Um, and that's, I don't know if I expected it to be this bad, but I, I wouldn't have been surprised if somebody told me that like, you know, they're pretty, they're above average, above average offense, but they find themselves love having her because of the defensive issues. So um, kind of my read on them through this, this part of the year. Um, but I would note that like, you know, it's important to, know, to acknowledge that their best player is 20. Like it's, it's not a bad place to be at 29 and 31 with a couple of guys who could be perennial all-stars moving forward with miles and Lamelo. So 
Um, he definitely get greedy. I get it as a fan, you know, 26 and 20 start the year, but yeah, you gotta keep everything in perspective if you can. Yeah. That's like, that's the biggest takeaway for me. Like I think fans of this team have a hard time taking that step back and realizing this team is for the most part is, is very young. And I think the biggest thing with this team is just how fun this team is to watch, especially on the offensive end when they've got it, you know, clicking like LaMelo has his imprint on this team, like with the free flowing offense, the fast paced tendencies, they just show up all over the place. And then you have Ubre, uh, who has like his streakiness. And when he's on like that, that team is just so fun to watch. Um, and then like you mentioned, Hayward, the steadiness that he brings to this team. And, and when he is healthy, he can kind of calm things down when, when it gets hectic and, you know, other teams go on runs. And then, you know, lastly, the improvements from Miles Bridges, like you mentioned, has just been so tremendous this year as a driver, especially his ability to get to the rim, finish with power, finish with finesse. And you've got a very good offensive team. And they, at one point, I think maybe we're like a top two offensive team, Brian, if I'm not mistaken. At th- at this point, I yeah. think most people, most sites have them like 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there. It's, it's been a frustrating team at some points, especially on the defensive side of the court. Uh, when teams dictate the pace more often than they do. And then recently when they've had tough shooting nights, it's been very hard to watch. But for, but overall, like if you were to take a step back, I think to Jackson's point, most people probably predicted them to kind of have this record after 60 games. Yeah, I mean, I think there was some, uh, they, were ob- they, they were very obviously punching above their weight. Uh, early earlier on in the season, offensively, um, three the three point shooting came back down to earth. They're not like a super high volume team from deep either. Like everything they do is predicated on getting to the rim and and building out from um, from there. But look, the defense has never been good this season. It's been probably a little bit worse. I mean, I thought they'd be a bottom three defense. I think they've been marginally worse than I would have expected them to have been. All of these issues that Jackson was just talking about, the, the issues with communication, we saw them last season where it, would, it seemed like they were getting caught in between coverages, whether they were switching on ball screens or trapping or soft switching. And just the amount of layups that teams are able to get, the way teams are able to create advantage off of them, like it, there's no point of attack defense. And then at those mesh points in the pick and roll, it's just so flimsy. Um, they've had to rely on the zone a lot. We can maybe touch on that some. I, I actually would like to to get into that a little bit. But I do think ultimately <laughs> their best player is 20. Their second best player is 23. You know, for the most part, they're set up. You know, they have this one draft pick that, you know, eventually will be conveyed to Atlanta. We'll see when over, over the span of the next four years that could happen. Um, but for the most part, they're in, in their minus the second round pick because of the Herald trade. But for the most part, They've got, uh, you know, they've they've got control over their picks, which is which is great, and they've got good young players, and they've got some avenues to do, and just yeah, it goes to show you, like they got a little bit of lottery luck in twenty twenty, you know, Lamelo falls to three somehow, and um, yeah, like it's transformed the franchise uh, in ways that are. You know, I think we're still kind of wrapping our our, head, our minds around. Um, and yeah, so we talked about the offense. I guess we can we should maybe flip over to the defense here. With how shaky the defense has been, do you think a team like this can be as effective? Where it's so like divergent in terms of like where their offense is and where the defense is in terms of 
Charlie, maybe having a bottom, you know, bottom 10 offense, a bottom, a bottom five defense mixed with a, you know, a top five, top 10 offense. They played a lot of zone this year. Uh, about 10 and a half percent of their defensive possessions have been in zone, which is actually the most in the NBA, just ahead of uh, Portland. But eventually they're going to want to find, you know, I think more conventional ways to guard the ball. And I, I mean, I think some of that's going to start with improving the point of attack defense and not having Caleb, you know, not having Martin and McDaniels right now. That hurts. But to circle back, do you think a team can be effective long term? Um, or what is the, the ceiling of a team that has possibly a top five offense and, you know, but but one of the worst defenses in the NBA? Yeah, I think they can can be quite good, but I think it's kind of that fine line, right? When you look at when the Hornets were a top three or four or five offense, they were, you know, smooth sailing, four or five, three games above 500. When the when the shooting comes down a little bit, they miss Hayward, um, you know, and they're, they're maybe forced to play in the half court a little more. Um, the offense falls to still above average, but not not exceptionally above average, and the defense isn't kind of counteracting that. So um, there's a pathway to it. I also will I also will say. I, th- I don't think this is a great defensive roster, but I don't think it's as bad as the numbers say. And I think, you know, for my reading, and I don't know, you know, I can only watch so much, but my read is I think, I think Borrego and company throws too many things out there at times. And I think he almost treats things like it's a full on rebuild because they have so many young guys and he's a fairly new head coach. I know he's in year four, but you know, it's his first, first, first opportunity as a head coach. And I think this team is too good for that. Like, I don't think you need to like, experiment so much. I got it maybe his first or second year when they didn't really have an identity. Um, I guess maybe the, the post the post Kemba year when things were really kind of, you know, you were kind of in purgatory there. Um, but now I just think this team is too good for that. I think they should try to just establish something. And, and that's kind of my read on it. Because I don't, you know, again, they're not a lot of plus, plus, plus defenders, but it's not... It's not like it's not the Rockets, right? Like I watch the Rockets and they're just they don't have good defenders, they have bad communication, but there's at least some sort of baseline here. I don't look at a lot of the guys on the roster and, and think like, oh, all of you are very like, clear negative. So um I think that could help as maybe just you know I don't maybe I'm misreading kind of how Borrego treats things, but to me it looks like a team that's he's thrown a lot out there because maybe the goal isn't to win now, which I get it. Like Lamelo's only twenty still, but you don't need to throw that much out there. And I think that kind of Richard's head, like you said, Brian, they're not always on a string in terms of understanding what they're running. And I think the zone, like I don't have the numbers in front of me with the zone, but I feel like the zone doesn't work that well either. And I don't know what the numbers say. I know synergy can be kind of fickle with yeah, how, how they're tracking possessions and stuff like that. Stuff I've seen anecdotally, which again is not all of it by any means. It just feels like they're like there's always a lot of space in the middle. Maybe they're or they, as a result they'll pinch too far in, then it's open threes or cutters in the wings. Um, a lot of corner threes. It feels like anecdotally because guys are crashing in. So just feels like maybe some sort of baseline coverage that you would run from seventy five percent of the time, and then deviate when necessary would really help. Whereas now it kind of just feels like twenty percent, twenty percent, fifteen, eight, all these different numbers, and that kind yeah. of you know over overstates their issues because they're just kind of navigating so many things. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think like the zone, it, it keeps them out of ball screens to an extent, which is like what they're really going for just because they're bad. Like they're, they're bad at the point of attack. And, you know, depending on who's on the court, they're not great at, at rotating on the backside and communicating. Uh, look, Terry Rozier helps this team out a lot offensively, but he is a guy that does break down a fair amount. So the zone helps them with that. And they've had some, I think for the most part, the zone is, yeah, you're trying to get trying to get them out away from ball screens and really trying to force turnovers. Like that's the other thing they use the zone that lets Lamelo fly around and play center field a little bit. You know, they're top ten in the league in, in turnover percentage in terms of their defense, and they really want to use that. Richie's talked about this a lot this season, but just sort of like that's what feeds the transition, which they're very reliant on to to prop up the offense a little bit. So the zone the zone helps in that and. The one game when they beat uh, Giannis in, in Milwaukee a couple of weeks ago feels much longer. The zone was just like, like was actually like awesome in that game and was like really like showing some fight in the middle of the court. It was making the middle third tough for Giannis, but like it's usually that's that's not usually the case. Like it's it's usually there to like to, to really just hopefully trigger some transition for him. Um, so I don't know. It's it's something that like it's nice to have it in their back pocket. I do think. It is, uh, you know, maybe they're a little overly reliant on it at times. And if that's like the card that you're always going to play when the pick and roll defense is just like gushing points, then it's not like it's just, I don't know. It's, it's not really a, a solution. And they probably, I think, structurally need something probably to allow them again to guard stuff a little bit more conventionally and, and Lamella will get stronger and better at the point of attack. That'll, that'll certainly help as well. But um, speaking of, of Lamello uh, and, and on the offensive side of the ball, this season, Charlotte's run, you know, even more pick and roll with Lamello as the primary ball handler. And that was probably to be figured, you know, Devonte Graham, who was a high volume pick and roll player, especially before Lamelo got to town. He leaves in the sign and trade to New Orleans. Malik Monk signs as a free agent with the Lakers, another guy that ran a fair amount of pick and roll. Um, and then, of course, just like Lamelo's, you know, evolution uh, as a, a, you know, an aging basketball player or a guy, you know, in his second year. I think the early returns of those results have been mostly positive, uh, especially given Lamelo's age and development curve and how he projects going forward, but they aren't always pretty. He can still have trouble turning the corner, getting downhill, finishing through contact. I think in the most recent game against Miami, this was like kind of an issue. Like he, he you know, he was having some issue getting around Duncan Robinson 
Um, so this is probably a little tough to gauge, but how would you evaluate LaMelo at this stage, but also going forward as like a late game engine of offense? Like how far fetched is it? Or do you think it's realistic to think of him eventually becoming like an apex level style, you know, creator? You know, no one's Luca or anything like that, but the kind of guy that you can just say you put him out here, and no matter what, you're going to be able to print a top ten offense, an efficient half court offense around uh, this guy. Yeah, I think I think Lamelo. You see, he's kind of emblematic of the Hornets' offense as a whole, right? The, the idea that they're really, really good in the open floor and transition, and they're not just good at there; they're really good at generating those type of possessions, which isn't always easy to do. But in the half court, they're not. He's not as good, and they're not as good as a result. And that's one of the areas they really miss Hayward is that kind of that steady guy that that Richie was mentioning earlier. I, I liked the addition of Harrell a, a lot because I think Lamelo was some like he needs a pick and roll big man. Uh, I know they run several Miles Bridges, but you can only do so much. And Miles has other ways he needs to be used as well. Plumlee, despite being a good finisher, I think or at least above the rim guy isn't a pick and roll big. He prefers to kind of work as a DHO guy at the elbows. So I like that for Montrez there. I, I think LaMelo can get there. And I think given how much he's improved in a bunch of ways, you know, dating back to his time at, at Spire or even in the NBL, there's, there's definitely some kind of reasons for, for tangible credence there, but he has a long way to go. I don't, I don't have his clutch numbers in front of me, but I want to say recently I've looked at them and they're not very inspiring. There's a lot of variance that goes into that, but I think the way you look at LaMelo and his style, you can kind of see some issues. He can, he, when he gets ahead of steam, he can really kind of turn on the afterburners, but from a standstill, he's just not quite there. Um, I think he's going to have to learn a little more craft, get, improve his core strength. It was already a lot better than it was two or three years, even a year ago. Um, you know, a lot, I think a lot of the best guys are getting he'll love that off arm, you know, just doing something with that off arm subtly. Um, that's something I think he could improve with as well. I think you've seen him try to do, especially kind of on those foul, those rip through fouls. He, he, he tries. So the, the short answer would be, I don't think he's there right now as a kind of a, a late game hub. But I think just given his growth curve, you have to be pretty encouraged by it. Um, but it's going to require, you know, some some key areas of development. Like I said, craft, you know, core strength I think would help um, not only just to get stronger, but I think core strength can really kind of improve your speed as well, your burst. Um, if you've got more to kind of fire, fire in there to, to get downhill, um, you're going to be more, more able to turn the corner, more likely to turn the corner, I should say. So um, those things, but again, also having a pick and roll big will help. You don't have to go ISO, right? You know, last time yeah. I said to learn a bunch of ISO, but um, for the most part this year, they haven't had a true pick and roll big. Um, and, and Trez has own issues. I don't think he's, he was not the answer long-term. He's also an expiring deal. So um, we'll have to find kind of a playable rim runner um, who can kind of give you things on both ends rather than, you know, Trez is a great, great, great pick and roll scorer, but obviously he has his own issues defensively. So, but I, I am excited to kind of watch him down the, watch him and Lamella down the stretch here and kind of see what sort of blueprint you have offensively when you give Lamella a, a very good pick and roll big. I think the early returns, Richie and I talked about this, or Spencer and I talked about this last week. I think the early returns with Harrell have been offensively have been encouraging. Just one more guy to be a pressure point on the rim uh, is big. And uh, even when Harrell isn't the guy catching and finishing what it's opening up for the Hornets elsewhere in the half court when teams have to rotate and, and you know, creating open shots or open driving lanes on the backside for Lamelo to skip it or kick it around to is really helpful. And, yeah, it's like you're never going to fully optimize Lamelo until you get, a, you know, a five guy that can can also be a be like really threatened this rim runner and a lob type, you know, like a legit, you know, one two pick and roll uh, combination. And, and I think I think Harold only reinforces that, but also knowing that you know he's not like he doesn't have some crazy catch radius above the rim. You know, he's not 
Mobley. He's not Evan Mobley to go up and, and catch a lob, and certainly it's not uh, Evan Mobley on the defensive side of the floor either. Yeah, Richie, do you have any thoughts on uh, on Harrell in, in Lamelo so far? I mean, it's a good point that you guys keep bringing up, and we've talked about it. You know, since since Lamelo was drafted, like he needs a pick and roll lob threat, and you know, late in games where you have to make that switch between full court offense where their game slows down, where you've got to switch it to the half court offense. That's where we've seen a little bit of troubles with LaMelo, but again, he's young. Um, he needs that pick and roll partner. He also needs to find a solid mid range game for when they do take away that lob. And uh, right now it's pretty much just a floater from like 14 feet. Lee and I were talking about this on last podcast, Brian, but just kind of finding that pull up mid range shot. And I, I just think that's all going to come in time, but yeah, he, he's a guy that just feast in transition, but late in games where things start to slow down mentally, he's got to make that switch and you can't just do ISO. You can't just spread it out and do ISO. You've got to have that two man game as well. So I, I've got a simple question for you. Can the Charlotte Hornets, make the playoffs outright as a top six team, or do you think they'll have to go in through like the play in this year? Yeah, this year. Yeah. I I think just given how maybe things have unfolded with them and a few other teams the last month or so, I I would say playing seems most plausible Um, a month ago. Maybe the Raptors weren't playing as well. The Celtics Celtics were kind of trying to figure themselves out as well. Um, but it, it just, I mean, and the Hornets don't have a terribly tough remaining schedule. Tangathon has them like 10th easiest. And so that, that helps a little bit. But I think, you know, I, I, as much as the Hawks have struggled, I still think the Hawks have the run in them. I don't really think that the Knicks or the Wizards have anything brewing. The Wizards are obviously you know, kind of without Beal and when Harrell helped them too. And the Knicks just seem like it's a bit of a lost year. But um, I think the Raptors and the Celtics emergence really makes things tough um, to get outside that top six. And I mean, one of those teams is going to miss, you know, going to have to play, be in the play So, uh, or maybe both of them, but, you know, in terms of we're looking at like one or both, whatever you want to say there. So yeah, I think playing is, is the most plausible right now. And it's, it's a bummer just because I think, you know, like I said, a month ago, maybe when they were 26 and 20 or whatever you want to say, um, even 26 and 22 or whatever, um, it seemed like they could avoid the playing altogether, but um, it just seems like they're trending in, in not great way. And, you know, we, you know, Uber has been kind of, you know, Uber was awesome through about <laughs> ish games. Yeah. And it's been tough sledding over this this recent streak. Uh, you know, Hayward is so important to them, and I don't know exactly when he's going to be back. But um, yeah, so plan seems most most likely these days, which is a stark you know, deviation. I wouldn't say stark; it's a, it's a deviation from maybe where I felt about how I felt about them a month ago. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of where I would have thought they. I think you guys touched on this at the start, but it's kind of where I would have had them before the season. You know, I just thought losing Devonte and. Malik Monk was going to hurt and um, even assuming LaMelo was going to make some strides and, and certainly Bridges has been terrific this year. Yeah, this is kind of around where probably where I would have had them uh, before the season started around 10 or 11. They're a little bit above that. Um, the indefinite nature of like Hayward's injury is also just like a giant question mark. It's like, you know, I, pretty scary. I think it's something that's sort of going a little under discussed right now. Cause it's like, if they're going to really like, pull it together here if not having Hayward makes that process uh, way more difficult maybe you know maybe a little bit more PJ Washington on the ball will be helpful I did think he like did some cool stuff in that Miami game so probably one of his most aggressive drive games of the season which is encouraging so so maybe we get a little bit more reps with PJ he had really just become like a 
a catch and shoot pick and pop guy the first like you know half of the season just which is fine but sort of like less than i than i think he's capable of and uh well all right so we've talked about some of these guys but sort of looking ahead to the off season you know the hornets have some important decisions that need to be made they don't have a ton of flexibility you've got the rosier extension that's going to kick in this summer you've got uh, you know, so a negotiation to take place with Miles Bridges. He's certainly a guy that could uh, be in line for a max contract this offseason. We'll see how that plays out. But just speaking broadly, what do you think of their strategy for building around the young guys? That specifically being LaMelo and uh, Miles Bridges. Yeah, I think I've kind of, we've all kind of hit on it, you know, thus far. I think the two biggest areas of need, you know, long term would be finding someone to fill the Hayward role, who's, you know, a guy a little more reliable. And again, Hayward's been awesome for when he's been healthy yeah. with the Lions. I'm not saying otherwise, but just yeah. the reality is he hasn't been able to stay on the floor that much. So um, just that kind of that release valve that can kind of calm things down, cradle the pick and roll, second side action, space the floor when he's off the ball. Um, good cutter as well. It's been a huge part of why I think he's, he's made sense off the ball. So um, that role I think is important. And then finding a, a rim runner, right? I mean, like we said, Harold's really going to one end, but, uh, you know, there's a reason that he's been on a few different teams. We know his playoff foibles defensively. Not all that's his fault, but, um, you know, they still exist. So um, those would be kind of the two areas for me. And then I just wonder, like, I didn't like the Rozier contract, you know, the extension when it happened. And he's regressed yeah. a little bit offensively this year. We always, we know about the defensive issues, know about the passing issues. But um, he's in one of those roles where, like, he has to be very, very good as an off-ball shooter and scorer. Um, to offset the decision-making woes as a passer and, you know, the, the, especially the off-ball woes defensively. Uh, and I don't think he's quite been there this year. He was there through probably, what, two-thirds to three-fourths of last year. The shooting fell off a little bit toward the end. But um, I don't love that. I don't love him as a partner for LaMelo in the backcourt long-term. So, yeah, um, Rozier is a guy who seems to be, like, not, you know, fairly well-liked around the league. It seems like maybe certain corners, people who cover, cover him are l- lower on him, but it doesn't seem like he's going to be, like, on a contract that's like totally immovable. So I don't think it's like some totally move that's going to hamstring them, but I don't love it. I don't look the fit. And again, he just plays a very, he plays a role that has a very fine line in terms of the impact you, you want to get out of him. And he hasn't really been there this year, I think. Yeah. You know, it seems like he and LaMelo are like good friends, which is awesome, but they're not, they're not a great fit on, on, they can work well together offensively at times, but neither one being like an incredible rim pressure guy and, and certainly both having their issues at the point of attack defensively sort of puts a, a ceiling on them. It would have been interesting to see if they had, if they hadn't done the Rosier extension and if they had decided to be sellers at the deadline, like that's, a, that's another route that like could have conceivably happened. It, it didn't. You know, Charlotte does get into the space sometimes where there's they seem to be floating in between, you know, building this thing up and out around Lamelo, which is which is which is great, and sort of like having their eye long term, but also trying to make the playoffs now. And it's hard. It's it's just it's just hard to do that, you know. And then especially when a lot of that is also contingent on Gordon Hayward staying healthy and playing, you know, X number of. Uh, of uh of games um so yeah uh richie did you want to get in here with uh with one more question yeah i got got one more question i'm not sure how many more questions you have brian but there's been a lot of conversation on hornets twitter surrounding james borrego and not that fans on twitter are all that clued in or you know people overreact to plenty of things you know the simplest things on twitter Uh, but i do have a question about him Um, he's 
he was kind of brought in here as this like player development coach, right? And he has done a pretty good job of building relationships and creating, you know, growth out of players that maybe had some flaws coming out of college. But at some point, this organization has got to flip that switch from youth, you know, being the priority to be able to compete in playoffs, you know, consistently. And, you know, how much runway do you give a coach like Borrego? And, you know, is, is there a certain year that the Hornets should maybe start to worry if this team isn't competing at a consistent level? You know, obviously a lot of it deals with personnel and stuff like that. So you can only you can only coach what you got on the court. But with the younger roster and the evolving players on this team, when do you start to worry with JB? Is it, is it next year if they don't make the playoffs? Is it two years down the line? Like, you know, how do you judge that? Yeah, and I, I want to make clear, like, I think evaluating coaches is so hard unless you're plugged into the day to day. Like obviously the two of you have covered the Hornets for many years. Um, so anything I say, I just want to make clear is very much, you know, uh, a, a narrow, narrow scope of what I can see and what I read. Um, but I, I think Brago's also been put in a bit of a tough position because, you know, he was that first year, Ken was on his last year of his deal. And then next year, like I said, they're kind of in this waiting period. And then year three, it's like, okay, maybe we'll be better. But Lamelo and Miles Bridges, you know, are are better than you could have expected, right? In year three, and then in year four for him, they're even better. So the time, like, what exactly the goal of the franchise is, and, and for what him to lead, had kind of always been shifting a little bit. It feels like, and that's hard for any coach, let alone a guy who's in his first ex, first run anywhere at le- as lead guy. So um, I want to kind of make clear, there's you know, there's, you kind of have to have that level of flexibility, understanding with him. But like I said earlier, I think he's still kind of a little bit stuck in terms of maybe thinking that we're in a rebuild and in there, you know, they're on a rebuild, right? The, the trajectory is going up, which is good, right? It's kind of always a goal with a rebuild. Um, but like I said, the, the, all the different defensive schemes they put out there just feels like you know, this is like a, like it's the thunder or the rockets and they're, they're winning 15, 18 games and, <laughs> and the one twenty nine, right? They, you know, through yeah. the thirds or you know, whatever. So um, I don't love that about him, but like you said, I think he puts guys in some pretty good roles to succeed. Um, at least offensively, I would say defensively, it seems a little more tenuous there. Um, so, so I think I would at least give him through like, you know, half of next year. Um, that would be four and a half years. Like any, any coach that survives four and a half years somewhere um, is, is pretty rare. Especially if they don't make the playoffs in those years. And I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm blaming Borrego for not making the playoffs. I would at least give him through that. If the Hornets are, you know, let's say we get to next year's trade deadline and they're Let's say let's say game forty one because that's a little before the deadline, and they're eighteen and twenty three. Then uh, you probably are going to want to make a move, right? You imagine Lamelo is better. You assume a Miles Bridges is slower around. He's going to be kind of in that fringe All Star conversation at worst again. Um, you, you'd want better there, and a lot of that's you know it's not. I don't want that to be like the end all. Be you have two good players, you'd be better than that. We don't know what the roster's going to look like, but it feels like this is a team that could compete a little more than it has. And I'm not saying that's Brago's fault, but I would just wonder kind of next year, you know, at this time or a month earlier, kind of if they're still kind of on the periphery of the playoff discussion and they're in some of those, and they're still looking pretty poor defensively, um, then yeah, you'd probably want to make a move. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe like coaches get better too. Right? I think that's an important thing to, we always talk about players getting better, but prime example, look at, look at Mike Budenholzer. I mean, he went from a guy who might have been on the hot seat and kind of figured things out in the playoffs and, you know, ended up helping them win a title. So that's kind of my narrow analysis. I only know so much, but I think, you know, Borrego has been put in a tough position, done some things well, especially on offense, um, but defensively and kind of the way, they kind of are always constantly moving through ideas. It doesn't quite feel like a coach coaching a team that could make, you know, 
some decent noise. I'm not saying that I expect the Hornets to make the playoffs, but I think they probably could be a team that, you know, was better than 29 and 31 in some ways. Uh, that's not all on him, but I think, you know, some of that is just because, again, he's, he's trying to adjust constantly. That's a tough thing, but, you know, good coaches are able to do that, and I, I think he could be a little better in that realm. But I don't think he's a bad coach, but I mean, I, I think he's kind of in a wait-and-see guy because, like I said, it's so tough to coach so many different contexts through four years. Yeah, I'd love to see him, whether he would sink or swim, I'd love to see him in a playoff setting just to see what he's like um, and just really – and we talk – often about players getting reps, but it would be interesting to see Coach Borrego getting, um, you know, postseason coaching reps, just like what that would look like um, when the pressure's really turned up. You know, can he be a guy that can find the right line of combination and make the right adjustments, you know, check the boxes as an after-timeout play caller, which he's pretty good at doing, but is only such a big percentage of doing the job well. Um, it really does, as, as they're building out, it really does feel like, they're going to have to hit another one of these sort of like late lottery picks, just like by, by virtue of like where they're probably projected to draft this year, where they drafted this past year with James Booknight. Jury's still out. Hasn't been by any stretch like a great rookie season, but um, you know, we'll see, but it does feel like they're going to have to have to, they're going to have to hit another one of those because with Lamelo, it's going to be hard for them to ever slip back into the, it could be very hard if not, you know, it just could be very unlikely for them to slip back into the top four or five or whatever of the lottery. Put that in mind though. And this is the last question and then we'll, we'll get you out of here. But this has been an, I think overall, like uh, a really encouraging fun fourth season for miles bridges. And, you know, I think a lot of has been made that all of this has happened this year, but if you were watching this team a year ago, uh, actually the, bo- the back third of the schedule you saw with Bridges like you could see him yeah. kind of coming online and, and some of the flashes of what he's showing this year but um, I guess I would just in general would sort of like like to get your thoughts on Bridges this season uh, a breakout year for him uh, where maybe you think he and, and also uh, along with that where do you think he fits maybe in the, the most improved player of the year race some, some other good candidates for that and, um, and yeah, sort of like just generally speaking, outward thoughts on building this up around LaMelo and, and Miles Bridges. Yeah, I would say to your point, Brian, you know, last year, last 16 games, averaged 21 points, seven rebounds, three assists, about a steal and a block per game, 51% from the field, 42% from three. Another three balls have been there this year. But like you said, that we saw this last year. I think maybe, I don't know if I talked with you or someone else, Brian, but I, I do remember, maybe I was uh, dude, maybe it was just a conversation, but I remember talking that like, you know, Miles Bridges had a pretty strong end of the year. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't say that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too my own horn for no reason. <laughs> um, but but I, think, I think even like beyond that stretch, you saw parts of this last year. Um, I know was, he's, he's creating for himself more just based on, you know, assist numbers and, and whatnot or unassisted versus assisted makes um, that sort of thing. But what impressed me most is like kind of the way he plays through contact and he's kind of his flexibility as a driver. As you said earlier, Richie, like, I don't have the driving numbers in front of me, but that feels like probably the biggest reason he's still been, you know, a, you know he's an above average, you know, 20 point scorer this year. Um, I think league average through shooting is about 56 and he's at about 58. So um, that's impressive. Like anytime you're a 20 point scorer and you're two points clear of league average through shooting, especially against true shooting, like most, that, that stems mostly from guys who are getting shots assisted. Um, so it's even more impressive there, but that's, that's what's most impressive. I, I, I am curious to kind of see where the jumper levels out. I don't think he's, 
you know, as bad as he was, he's been this year at 31%. Um, I also don't think he is the 40% guy he was last year. You know, he's been about 33% his first couple of years, but that was also a different player. Um, it was a much different version, a much less and positively impactful version of Miles Bridges. So, um, and that could be interesting to kind of see, like, can he get to a point where he has a bit of enough off dribble juice to set up the drive to more with like, you know, those hesitations or those crossovers that he loves. Um, if you can kind of even get those defenders to step one more half, half foot out and open up the driving lanes even more, that'd be impressive. So I think the passing is interesting because there's clearly the talent there and he has some pretty nice flashes as a driver, but there's also kind of times of tunnel vision and maybe forcing the issue. But um, that sort of thing come like, you don't I mean it's a step-by-step process, right? Like you kind of figure out how to best leverage your scoring ability over time. Um, you know, I think about a guy like a Devin Booker, I think Anthony Edwards will get there as well. It, it takes time, you know, it, you, the scoring can come, but you know, the passing maybe kind of takes more time because you realize the defense d- defends you differently. So I, I don't know exactly where to put him in the, in the, most improved player race, I think it probably, I'd have to think about it a little more. I'm pretty partial with Jared Allenson this year. Um, so yeah. I, I yeah. mean, like, and, but it's similar to his case. It's similar to, I should say Bridges case is similar to Darius Garland's to me in the sense that um, if you watched enough of them last year, you saw this sort of like season percolating, but like how much do you weigh that? Right. It's like, it was only part of the year for miles, only part of the year for Darius. But um, I think I'd have him in that top three of conversa- conversation conversation. Um, Desmond May is another guy. Yeah. I know it's always kind of tricky with those second year players. I don't really put any sort of, you know, unspoken criteria on that for second year guys. Um, so I would have him in there, but for me right now, I still got to go with a guy like Jared Allen. John Morant too is really, you know, he's, he's taken the leap as both volume score and an efficient score. That's really hard to do. So, um, you know, those are all guys that have in there, but um, yeah, it's just tough. I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes I almost like sound pretentious when I talk about the idea that like, you know, we saw this last year, but we did. And so I don't know exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's obviously in there and it's been really, really cool to see him go from kind of the secondary scorer who can handle some scoring volume to a guy who can do enough, of, handle enough of it um, on better than the average true shooting. Because again, that's, I think handling scoring volume is a skill in itself. You talk about John Morant there. That's the reason he's grown this year, Darius Garland. So, um, you know, everyone can take, could handle 15 shots, not take an offense. <laughs> you'd have, you'd have a lot more all-star power players. Not that's not handle, but that's an important skill. And, and miles and miles ability to do that, um, is certainly, you know, impressive and important. Yeah, Jackson also saw the Jared Allen and the John Morant jump coming as well. He, he sees it. <laughs> Definitely not those ones. I'll, I'll, I'll take some credit for the for the Darius and the the Miles Bridges uh, stuff. I did not see Jaw doing this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't see Jared Allen doing this either, and I liked the Jared Allen contract, but yeah, it made me look even wiser for supporting it. So yeah, he Jared Allen also one of those guys. At some point, I need to look this up. That dude kills the Hornets. <laughs> Like, it, I think he's yeah. had multiple, like, five-plus dunk games against the Just absolutely eats them alive. So, um, he's awesome, and I'm very happy that both he and LaMelo uh, were able to get into the All-Star, All-Star game this year. That was cool. All right, we're going to wrap here. Jackson, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and, and plug anything that you've got in the works or anything that with your writing. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at JackFrank underscore JJF tweeting about the Sixers, the NBA in general, um, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I'll have a fun piece on Mikel Bridges coming out, uh, I think tomorrow, maybe, I'm not sure, but over at Basketball News, he's had a really nice recent stretch as a scorer, so um, the other Bridges of the 2018 class, um, which is 
uh, quietly, like a really fun debate. Like who's the better bridges now? Maybe not quietly in Hornet circles and Sun circles. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not totally ear the door on those things. But uh, but yeah, appreciate you having me on. Hornets have been a really really fun team this year, despite their recent lull. And uh, you know, I, I hope that we can get them back to their their mid January version where they were really kind of cooking and figuring some things out on both ends. So um, once again, appreciate you having me on and uh, always, always a pleasure to talk some hoops. Yeah. The, the 2018 draft is like turning out <laughs> to be a fun one. And uh, yeah, and Jackson enjoy the second half of this or the back last 20 games or so with uh, I, this is going to be really fun watching Philadelphia down the stretch. And, yeah, and Daryl Morey had a tweet that maybe hinted that Harden's going to make his debut on Friday against the Wolves. Uh, and that's, and that's a, I think that's a fun experiment too, because that's a team that throws two at the ball all the time and pick and rolls. That's historically coverage that has kind of hurt this version of the Sixers. So, um, but not one that's really hurt, you know, James Harden. James Harden. But who knows? Brian, I just looked up the averages for Jared Allen against the Hornets in his career. 13.8 points, 10.4 rebounds, and 1.4 blocks in 17 games. Huh. Uh, I'll, I'm going to have to dig a little bit deeper. I feel like by on a per-minute basis, those numbers are probably <laughs> a little bit better, but maybe just the last two or three games against the Hornets are, are skewing my uh, my memory. He is a 21-14 and 14, uh, on 68.8% true shooting in three games this year, so maybe that could definitely be it. Recency bias uh, on the pod here. Yeah. All right, guys, we are going to wrap here. Uh, this is the last time I'll remind our listeners, but we've got a survey going on that can help better get an understanding of what you guys are liking, what you're disliking from the pod. The link will be in the episode notes, so click on that. It should only take two to three minutes of your time. For Jackson, for Brian, I am Richie. We'll see you guys next time. Go Hornets.